I'm Mohawk Matt, and this is By Hair, Land, and Sea, where we will bridge the gap and have conversations that need to happen. After spending 13 years, both as an active duty Marine and then a Navy civilian, I am now on a mission to serve our nation by providing a megaphone for the right people at the right time. Join me and my guests as we remove barriers so that you can do what you do best. Be awesome. See you in the trenches. What's going on, everyone? Brad, I'm super excited to be here with you. Ironically, in a room that I actually built when I used to work in this building you guys are out of. And so I think it's kind of come full circle for me, at least this episode. So I, for those that don't know, I'm here with Brad Halsey, and um, he's the founder, creator, mastermind, and CEO of Building Momentum. I'm excited. He's a friend, and we've, I've worked with him off and on for the last few years. And I'm excited to the value that I think he's going to bring you in being a small business owner, going through the ups and downs of what that means, working across the DOD, uh, Department of Defense, working with Marine Corps. They've trained thousands of service members on all kinds of things from plugging a light bulb to making drones do cool stuff. So Brad, how's it going? Welcome. It's going well. I hope I can provide at least some value to somebody. Yeah. How are you? Well, you will. If not, just your team can laugh at you later. That's right. And they do that on occasion. So. Yeah. And you have a unique story, Brad, as as a veteran. So you're also a service member. So I want you to tell us your story of your time in service. And then, then we'll get into building momentum. Right. So, yeah. Well, thanks for that. I started in the an ROTC and went into the Navy. Wanted to be a special operations guy, a diver. So I got, I got into dive school. Went The dive school program then takes you to be a SWO at the time. So I became a SWO and got my SWO pin, then tore my shoulder in the Middle East and had to have a surgery. The surgery went wrong. And I actually got processed out as a disabled veteran because of a surgery, not because I, you know, fought a shark or landed on a grenade (laughs) or something. It was because of that. So that really bummed me out. And I wanted to then make a living with my brain instead of my body. And so I went to one of the probably the top think tank in the world at the time with Stanford Research Institute. So spent a bunch of years there. I was like, I came in as just a chem nerd lab rat, you know, just like, hey, shut up and go clean the the glassware type guy. Worked my way up to a senior engineer running large DARPA agency type programs. I loved it and it was a great place around and surrounded by the smartest people on the planet. But the, the thing that I couldn't reconcile was why we were making all this incredible technology, cutting edge technology, but none of it was percolating to the battlefield. And so my friends in the Navy who were still special operators, they were getting chewed up by Al-Qaeda. They were getting chewed up by the Taliban. These were technologies that were really simple, that they were using little circuits and things and just eviscerating our, our, our forces. So I wanted to see why. So I left Stanford Research Institute, SRI, in 2008, became a consultant at a consulting firm, which happened also to be the best engineering consulting firm in the world for these types of things. Didn't know that. I just signed and said yes. And then I immediately took, took a plane to um, Iraq. So almost spent the entirety of 2008 in Iraq. I had a lab in Baghdad, ran around the country doing, you know, whatever I could do to help. And I went on every mission I could go on. And I really wanted to see what, you know, why this stuff wasn't percolating. What, you know, what were the warfighters really dealing with? It's something we joke about today is that if you would ask a warfighter at the time, you know, how, how can I, as an engineer or a scientist, how can I make your life better? They would say, I need, you know, more caffeine, more porn and more <laughs> video games. And I'm like, oh, so that's why you have to go on these missions, right? You have to go see it. 
Because if you just ask around, that you know the light, the the conflict was too close almost. So that's why I spent all that time. And I came back. And I had something like fifty-five projects going on at once, and it was a lot of fun. And it was it was impactful. So I came back, and the army was like, "You need to do more of this." So I started at the consulting firm that I was at. We had a lot of PhD engineers from the top universities. What I quickly learned is just because you're number one in your class at MIT does not mean that you can do anything useful on the battlefield or in a place like that. So that started this training program that I was weeding out nerds to go to war. And you know, at the time, it's really sexy. People think, oh, I'm going to Afghanistan and be a MacGyver. And then like, you go through the training that I put you through, and there was only one or two people that would evolve um, or, or, or make it out of that. So that is the genesis story of actually our flagship training today, which is called Innovation. But yeah, I did that for a bunch of years. The, uh, the war in Afghanistan wound down. The war in Iraq wound down. I saw the writing on the wall. I did not want to be a regular consultant. There was no <laughs> world where I just wanted to like do that. So um, I decided to start building momentum with Albert, Dr. Albert Vega, who was one of the engineers that I sent to Afghanistan. He made it through the training. He did exceptional downrange. He and I started this company and around the idea of we were going to do the down, downrange prototyping. We were going to teach people how to do that and see what happens. And that's, that's how we started. So we started training people how to go to wars and we did it ourselves. So whenever we got a chance, we would go to some disaster zone or some some place where we could help. You know, fast forward to today, I was in Ukraine in the fall trying to figure out how I can be useful out there. We have gone to the Bahamas and to like the Puerto Rico USVI disasters and even domestic disasters all around this idea of trying to help with our skills and teaching that. It's sort of the genesis story of building momentum. I love, I love that story. I love the, especially the veteran side of like, you did, you actually understand some of the, or you did at that point. Now you have to work more because it's been many years. But you, you've been through the motions and the frustration that they've had. And so now you can take that and help solve their problems now today. You said something there, I want to pull a thread on, is working through disasters. It's something I witnessed at the heat of COVID. The organization I was working with at the time with the Navy here had just moved or just built out the new space in your building. And COVID hits and immediately building momentum transforms into this UV light disinfecting area. And that was, the, just pull that thread a little bit. Yeah, so if you think about the business models that we had at the time, we were going globally to train people, domestically and globally. We were building some, some stuff for some people, and then we also had our corporate training, and we, had, we have this space that is really weird here that we would rent out for events. COVID destroyed all of that. So I came and brought my team together one day, and I said, let me just tell you the, the realities of the situation. We're in trouble. So what do we do? And we all kind of came together and said, we should do what we do best, which is we problem solve under urgent and dangerous and crazy and unknown situations. Yeah. So that's what we did. And so we attacked, we immediately hit the books, found out as much as we could find out about COVID. We were always on the leading edge of what the scientists, we were tied into all the agencies that were releasing information about what COVID was doing. And then I have a strong optics background and Albert Vega does, despite him being a double E, he's actually one of the most amazing double E's because he has all this breadth of experience. So we, we realized that UVC light, based on some of our other former life R&D, kills a lot of this stuff. And at the time, the science was suggesting that COVID was as dangerous on the surface as it was in the air. 
The nice thing about the way we moved is that we all focused up, moved really quickly to kill sort of COVID on surfaces, but also we moved so fast that when the science changed, we could also change. So then we started using fans and blowers to run air over UVC light to kill it in the air. We started coming up with more ventilator, respirator, or CPAP type of solutions. We ended up inventing like 34 different technologies in COVID, some of which were winners, some of which were losers. But to activate the team, to bring them together to do that was one of the most pivotal moments in this company. And that's what I think you guys have always done well of how I've known you is you're very true and honest to your team. Like a lot of CEOs that went through that and now they're not very forward with like, hey, we're kind of screwed. We got to make some changes. <laughs> yeah. And your and your transparency, I just talked to Cheyenne about this, is what makes you guys, I think, so successful as a business owner. I think that's the only way to operate. That's that's our reputation within the DOD. Why not be the same with our stuff? And honestly, you know me, I am not a good, I, like, I don't know, I'm not a good liar. I, every, I wear <laughs> everything on my sleeve. If I tried to lie to you, you would see it immediately. I cry in front of my staff. I'm just an emotional guy and everything is very much what you see. For better or for worse, you get you get Brad, full Brad. And I think that that translates, if you look at all the senior staff here, they're all the same way. Everyone is really authentic and genuine to who they are. I've tried, like I learned leadership the wrong way. I learned it as you have to be this stoic special operator who makes fun of other people when they're weak. and. I got choked out. I got physically choked out by a, a more senior officer one time because I disagreed with them. I figured, you know, this is the culture. And when you are in that sort of toxic masculinity based culture, you think that that's the way you're going to lead. And so your team can't see you shake or quiver or be emotional. And what I learned over time is that's just not right. And in fact, I actually think it's not right for the DOD and I think it's not right for special operations. I certainly don't think it's right for my, my staff. Yeah. They got to see authentic emotional, true Brad and the senior staff reflected that, they will get those moments where you have to pivot hard and stay up late and work your... We worked crazy hours to make these technologies of which we got very little yield out of in money space, but it, it galvanized us. It, they got to see like the real building momentum. And that's just how we operate. And I've realized I can't be anybody else. I'm not a stoic dude. I'm not some Rambo or any of that crap. I'm Brad. And I'm just going to be as honest in, in who I am all the time. Which includes guitar playing. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I was actually a music major at school before I became a chemist. Wow. And ROTC made me be a science major. So when I got the scholarship because I was a basketball player and they wanted me to be on this like traveling team. And I said, that's great. And they're like, what's your major? And I said, well, it's classical guitar and Latin. And they're like, that's not a thing. It's not military. That's not a thing. So they said, pick a science. And I, and I had to, and I picked chemistry and I was already so far behind the curve that I had to drop music is the thing. But yes, yeah. I love music. I love writing music. I'm trying to write my next album. We'll see, we'll see how it goes. And does that music and art background that's inside of you before the science was, is that fed into because the people you hire? Because you have quite a bit of art degrees or you have over the years of that art side instead of like just straight engineers. I'd like to think that I was, I was more cognizant of that. The, the reality is I started trying to recruit from universities and they would have me in. I'd say, okay, great. You have a great engineering department. Where are they building things? And they're like, well, we don't really build anything till senior thesis. And I was like, okay, I need to see people building stuff like now because I need someone now. And they would drag me down to the theater departments <laughs> where people are building sets and welding up frames and running lighting and running electrical. I was like, ah, that's who I need. 
I need actually a mix of all these people. So I found as engineers are really good at sort of the, the complexity and the sort of the pedagogy sometimes needed to get through more sort of multi-stage, multi-faceted problems. Theater majors are really great at making sure you get that done. And so like you put those two in the room together, you get a, a great work product out. And so that's, but I also think life is about looking at problems from a whole bunch of different perspectives. So we have a yeah. philosophy here at Building Momentum that there are three things I look for to solve problems. You have to have a diverse team and that's not a throwaway word. That is like not just diversity of religion and race and gender, but also a diversity of background. We have on our senior staff, we have people that have PhDs and people that didn't go to college. And I will challenge anyone to guess who is who, because yeah. you probably don't know. And then everyone has a voice. I want to make sure I hear everyone's opinions. And that if everyone is passionate about solving the problem by design, we're going to have conflict. We're going to have arguments. So I tell everyone that when you come, it's by design. You're going to argue. But, yeah. but in those arguments, the greatest results will come out of that. So we, we try to foster that as well. And I absolutely love that, and especially I think people are trying to go towards that, but they don't know how to shift from the traditional business model to that like, hey, it's okay to argue. It's okay to have conversations, and that's how you get better. You said something that sparked another. We're just going to go down whatever Please. Path, path we go. Is you've also built a company that's given opportunity. You have someone that started as an admin assistant now on your C-suite. Like, what? Why? Was it always just like, yeah, do whatever you want? Or how did, how did, why are you so open to giving people a chance? So I, I knew, I said this earlier about the throwaways of the two places I used to work that were sort of top of their game engineering firms, right? I learned that it doesn't matter. It only matters if you can get the job done. You could, again, you could be number one at Stanford. You could be the, ordained the smartest person on the planet, which we had. We had these people around at both of those places I worked. We had like, Amer you know, the, the, Nobel laureates, literally, in some of these places. It doesn't matter if you can't get it done. And so I've learned, and I think I, that that lens has been ground and focused based on my time in war zones and disaster zones. But like, all I give a shit about, honestly, at the end of the day, is that you can deliver and that you care to modify and deliver again. And so, yeah, your example of Cheyenne, right? Yep. She came in as my admin assistant, and we joked that I was like, I was kind of lukewarm about her interview. I was like, yeah, sure. I, you know, anyone right now, I just need about two weeks in, I'm walking around looking at something I was going to fix. And I realized I didn't have my drill. And I turned around, she had the drill. And I was like, oh, she's like, yeah, you're going to need a drill for this. I already can tell you want to fix this. A few months later, I noticed that she had a penchant for learning really quickly. So I dragged her to a training session just to watch because she was my admin assistant. Like you got to learn how, how we do business. I realized I was tired on a Tuesday morning and I said, you want to teach all these Marines how to weld? She's like, sure. And didn't even miss a beat. Taught them all how to weld. And then I was like, do you just want to teach them all the rest of the stuff? And she's like, sure. You know, go from there. Her ability to ingest information became very obvious to me. She can see it all and then she can see the matrix through the information. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, so I kept throwing everything at her and she just kept killing it. And so that Despite uh, coming in as an admin assistant with a theater degree, she's probably one of our best engineers. She doesn't have like, you know, the, the, the linear algebra and the calculus that maybe some of our engineers have. She doesn't need it. She can see through the matrix and go, we're missing this thing. Someone go make that thing and we're good. Which is really what I think engineering really is. It's not that mm -hmm. you can do differential equations all day. It's that you can see the problem and know what the solution is. So yeah, so I, I, why, why wouldn't I just throw gas on that until 
until there's no other spot for her to go except for my seat, which will probably will probably take someday <laughs> and probably do a better job than me, actually. And, and what I love about that is it's not a 20-year progression. It's been like five years. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, And she's still, and we talked about this on her show, is she's still in her 20s. Yeah. Like, and you have, and, and, but it's, the reason I'm highlighting it is because your empowerment as a leader, that isn't, doesn't happen. Like you, you have this rare quality that you just, you see people, and I've seen it with other people you've had too over the years. I've known you. You see people and you just, let's see what happens. Go fly. Try. And if it doesn't work, we'll put you in something else. That, that, I'd like to think that that's a leadership quality. I think it's more out of necessity because we're moving sometimes so fast. I'm like, well, crap, how do I, how do I fill this gap? Um, yeah, I mean, that's, I, I think I, I like to see the staff grow. And I think that there are so many moments in building momentum because of all the things that we do and how fast we move that people have those opportunities. And I, and I am very understanding that growth means ups and downs. Yeah. And so people are going to screw up. And in fact, one of our senior managers I was talking to last year in our review, and he was like, well, what can I do better? And I said, you've done great. One thing I'd like you to do more is screw up more. Because if you make more mistakes, that means you're leaning out and pushing harder. And I haven't seen you make a mistake in a long time. So you're not pushing yourself hard enough. So push yourself harder. Do things you're not comfortable doing. And you're going to learn more about yourself. Like I said, this is not really about a building momentum like business. This is about you learning about who you are. And that's one of the things that I have found to be very valuable in business is accommodate your junior and senior staff to learn about who they are. Who are they at their best as a person? Who, you know, who are they? And if you can get them to, to sort of realize that within your company, that is, that is gold. That is all you, you know, you need to move forward. So I try really hard to do that here. It's like, yeah. you know, if, you, if it's not working for you here, move over here and see if that is working for you. Yeah. I love that. Speaking of the company, let's talk about one of the, probably the most known things you guys do is the Marine Ranker program. Tell us the evolution of that and how you got involved in that. That's actually a really great story. So I was prepping, we started the company, you know, this is like a year in or so. Albert and I are at this now defunct workshop called Tech Shop. <laughs> they went out of business a bunch of years ago, but we were inside of that. We're gaming up our first training session with some army engineers who were actually taking our jobs when the army decided to like, instead of outsource this to the, con we were consultants at the time, yeah. as contractors, they decided to do it all inside with GS employees. So it was one of the reasons that we actually decided to build building, start building momentum because we saw that they weren't going to use this anymore. So we needed to train the people they were going to use. So we were whiteboarding this whole thing up at this, at this place. And this, this Marine comes in and he's in full uniform and he, he gets ferreted in by one of the tech shop admin or staff. And he was asking for what you do with all this stuff. What do people do with all the machines and all the tech? And, and they couldn't answer the question. They said, go talk to these two weirdos in the back which were me and Albert. And so he comes in, he's like, what are you guys doing here? And I said, you know, we're, we're getting ready to train. I was a little bit distracted. I wasn't paying attention to really like who that was really. And I was like, and I told him, you know, roughly what we do, how we take technology and use it to solve real world problems. And then he's like, great. Okay, thanks. Thanks for that. He, he leaves. It was General Frank Kelly at the time. I didn't realize it was a general even. I think I was just like, just heads down in this. Yeah. He gets my information at the front desk of this place. Next morning, I get an email. Hey, it's, I was like, oh, General Frank Kelly, Marine Corps. He's like, I really want to, I think what you're doing is interesting. I want you to get in touch with one of our sort of innovation specialists. And it's this Captain Chris Wood. And I was like, 
oh, great. I mean, it looks like the general just totally downshifted me. I was really excited about this. But I was like, that's great. You know, I'll meet this captain. I, that was one of the biggest mistakes of my, like, of my entire career of, of thinking it was a downshift. The captain I met, Chris Wood, is, was a unique individual in the entirety. I, you, you know Chris, right? Yeah. And, and saw the entirety of what we could bring to the Marine Corps like in a, over one beer that we had in Crystal City. And, and he's like, I have an idea. I'm going to bring General Dana, a three-star, down to your basement in Alexandria, and we're going to show him this, and we're going to do this for the Marine Corps. I was like, that's the craziest idea, idea I've ever heard, but okay. So, I, went, I, I mean, no joke. I went down, like, swept out my basement. It was unfinished. We put up our, all, we had built all of our own 3D printers out of wood because that's all I could afford. Uh -huh. We had these wooden-built 3D printers building this stuff. I had robots flying around on the ground. We had all this stuff. Raspberry Pi's doing surveillance in there, and he rolls up in these black SUVs. My, my neighbors thought, like, I was going to get arrested or something. They didn't know. They later tell me, they're like, we didn't know if that was the FBI. We don't know who tells you about my reputation in my neighborhood, by the way. So they, they rocked down to the basement. I had, I had made homemade hummus for them and some veggies, and that was like all. I didn't know what to do. Like, I never had a three-star sure. and all these people. I didn't even know what that meant. I was just, like, so oblivious to it. And so we're talking. He was in full dress because he'd come from some, like, dinner. And he's, like, about 10 minutes into it, he's like, I want all this for the Marine Corps. And that was it. And then they walk out. And then Chris Wood spends the next, you know, several months getting us under a small, a tiny little 200K something, you know, contract. We build this lab for the Marines that we travel around the country like a roadshow, back and forth across the country a bunch of times. So we put in like, I want to say like 20,000 miles on this trailer, teaching these MacGyver skills. And that, and at first we would rock up on the places and people like, you know, what is this? We don't need this. I actually had one guy yell at me and he's like, Marines don't need to learn 3D printing and, and robotics and coding. They don't need to, they need to learn to shoot better. And I got into it with them and we had this huge argument. And that was the first year. It was, we would rock up onto the bases. No one would know what, what to do with us. The second year, people would, would drive up to the trailer and wait to see if anyone would, was dropping out of that class. There were cars all through the parking lots just waiting to see if there was another slot that would open up. Then the nightclub line started forming. Then the thing got bigger and bigger. And finally they said, you know, we can't, we just can't train enough people in a trailer. You need to start building facilities. And that's, that's where we are now. So we, we blow into areas, we set up an entire maker space. And then we go like Japan, we go there and we're going to be going there more now, but we go there twice a year. We go to Hawaii twice a year. We go all through the East coast, West coast training, you know, as many Marines as we can. Yeah. So that's how it started all around. Just like. Can you problem solve with today's tech? That is fantastic. And, and I think a lot of it is the success you've had. Yes, I, I hat tip to that. But it's also the, the right people like Chris Wood. It's, it's you guys have had the opportunity, sounds like, to really find your, your partners that just took you to the next level. There's no world where I was smart enough or good enough to have success without all of these people. It's just you have to have these partners. And that's why... I mean, I firmly believe that business is a group effort and it's across and your clients are as important. And this, and one of the things that I am having a hard time understanding and reconciling is this like relationship between the government and contractors where it's very transactional and, and the government looks like, looks at it like contractors are going to fleece us. Contractors look at it as the government will cancel us at any moment and they don't, you know, it's this very acrimonious relationship. That is not at all how I feel. As you know, I like anyone that I do work with, I want to know about them, how they tick, what their family's like, what they do on the weekends. You know, I want to learn everything because that's, I'm dedicating a lot of effort to working with these people. 
And so when Marine Maker got successful, it was because Chris Wood and I spent hours and hours and hours wargaming this. General Dana would, would spend hours wargaming this. People like Tim Bailey, if you remember, yeah. Ben Buffard. There are some early adopters. Now Matt Audette. He, I mean, Matt Audette spends hours and hours and hours thinking about how to make this better down at Marcor Syscom. A lot of really important players spent a lot of time thinking about this and working with us and refining this. And if you do that with your clients, that's how success is. I'm just not, I'm not smart enough and good enough to have done it without all of my friends. Yeah, that's fantastic. I love that. One of the things, I think it came from Marine Maker, is your, I don't know what to call it, besides Connex Box as a service, and that's your makerspace that you've kind of shipped out, deployable makerspace. Tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, today we've built over 30 different types of makerspaces and mobile labs and things like that. I mean, essentially, it's your textbook. That's the way we look at it, is we can make it, we can build them in shipping containers, yes. I mean, it, and, and Matt, let's just be honest about it. It's not rocket science. I am <laughs> taking a shipping container, throwing some walls and electrical on there and putting tools in it and calling it a day. Yeah. And that's why they're not expensive. I got really frustrated. And one of the reasons I got into the mobile lab side of it, I got really frustrated with mobile labs costing millions of dollars. In fact, I was part of that. I built, I helped design and build some of the ones for the army that were millions of dollars. And I didn't understand, I wasn't smart enough then or savvy enough then to understand why that was. After I got on the other side of understanding how those things are fully built, it seemed like that's not what was needed everywhere. Maybe sometimes, maybe sometimes you need a $3 million mobile lab. But what we realized is that it's just not rocket science. Like you can hook a generator, I mean, use solar, throw a bunch of tools in there. But that now becomes your textbook, your classroom. And then what do you do with it? A lab, a makerspace is just nothing without the humans inside of it. So that's, that's kind of what we think is like, we will get people that will say, hey, Brad, we want to set up a makerspace in, you know, at Space Force. And I'll say, that's great. What do you want to do with it? Because any idiot can put 3D printers in a room. What do you want to do with it? And that's, those are the, that's the conversation we have with people. What, you, what problems are you trying to solve? What are you trying to do with this capability? And if you don't know that, don't call us until you do it. Space Force was a great example of this. Mm -hmm. They said that. They said, we want this. And I said, why? And they're like, we're not sure. And I said, can we come down and do a facilitation with you? So Shai and I flew down to Space Force at Patrick. And we had this great session where they were like, we think we want this, but we shaped it into like this other sort of, because they have a lot of problems even around that area. They have everything from birds are on the flight line to I want to build a CubeSat. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, but then at first they were just like, we were told that we should have these things. But then we, we peeled the onion and they were, they actually knew better than we thought they did uh, what they should have. And so that's what I ask. It's not what, what tools do you need? I mean, I was just in Mongolia talking to the Mongolians, the same thing. They want, you know, all these capabilities. I'm like, but tell me why, what are you trying to do? I think we don't ask that question enough, but, yeah. you know, in that space. Well, you go after, it's the contract side. It's the survival side. It's the, oh, I, I, especially as a small business, it's probably hard for you sometimes. Like, here's millions of dollars. And you're like, well, wait, maybe you shouldn't pay me. Should you pay me? Like people, that's not natural to people. It, because I don't care about that, right? Yeah. I care about that I'm solving your problem. Yeah. And I'm, I'll be the first to say, I'm not always the thing that's going to solve your problem. Building yeah. momentum can't solve all your problems. It can solve some problems sometimes, but I'm not going to be the contractor that says, I, I got you. I got everything because I don't want mediocrity to ever sneak into the sides. Uh -huh. I want to be really good at what we do and that's, and then full stop. And so, yeah, sometimes the answer is don't ask for my help or uh, like a lot of these clients that we have, we're going to teach you how to do it. And then you're going to go off like the Rangers a bunch of years ago asked us to build this whole like secondary arming circuit for ammunition. They want to put on a drone. We could have, so we built it really fast and we could have just sold them that thing, but we didn't. We said, actually, what would be better for you is we teach you how to do that. 
you buy these tools on Amazon and these tools from here and you run your own classes. And they did. And that was it. We never saw them again. And that is great because the capability is growing and people are getting better and they're learning themselves. So again, I don't do this for money. Money has never interested me. I actually hate money. I hate the concept. I like, I don't like any of it. I really like helping people solve their problems. And you keep solving their problems and they'll probably call you back. I, you know, hopefully <laughs> if not, then I, if I solved all their problems and that's great, put me out of, put me out of business. Yeah. That means there aren't any problems anymore and I will be happy. Yeah. It's, I, I love that phrase. I, as you know, I started my business this last couple of years and I tell future potential clients when we're talking, like, I want you to fire me in six months. Not because I, I was bad, because you don't need me anymore. It's a waste of money. It's a, you've got your thing. And Cheyenne talked about that earlier downstairs, recording her podcast episode of, I think it was in the last year, she told a story of, there was like 50 grand left. And you're like, we're good. We don't need this. Here's your money back. <laughs> and the client was like, what? Yep. No, you can't, you don't give me money. I was like, we don't need it. We solved your problem already. Here you go. Yep. I remember that. She, she was talking to me about it. She's like, I think we got what we need. I was like, great. Great. Then, then give them back the money. And we did. <laughs> and they were just like, what? I'm like, that's how we roll. That is what we're, we solved your problem for less money. Here you go. Yeah. And it, cause you've said this without saying this, it's the friendships, partnerships, relationships, and everything else will come. That, that's what it sounds like. That's right. That's right. All I really care about at the end of the day. And that's the thing that will, you know, when I die, hopefully be on my gravestone will be that, you know, that he made some positive impact in the world. And you can't do that. I don't believe I can't do that focused on dollars and revenues and profit and loss and all that stuff. I focus on the humans that are around me and the, and the people I get to interact with. And it's always a pleasure. Like right now, this is yeah. a pleasure. You're giving me your time that like, that doesn't happen very often. When do I get mat time? Like literally in, in between now and the day I die, there's only going to be a, you know, we will only get a few more hours together, probably, honestly. And so when I get to meet these, these CEOs, these companies, or these people with issues, like, I'm not going to get much more time with them on this planet, honestly. Like, if you think about all the time. Oh. So how can I help them while I can? That's what I think about. And it's like, what can I give them of me to, to get the problem fixed and finished? And so that's what I care about. I don't care about, you know, how many dollars I made. That's not going to be on any gravestone or anything yeah. or any legacy. I'm just going to give a crap about how much money I made. It's going to be, did I make a divot while, the, while I had the time to do so? so that's it. Mm -hmm. That's all I really care about. I love that. I mean, we could end there, but I have more questions. Oh, go for it. But it's, but it's perfect. It's so, and, and kind of related to that, because you had a year that could have sank most. And I say the word sank for certain reasons. So you guys had this partnership that kind of disappeared all of a sudden. As a small business, like tell us that story and kind of how that happened. And the, reason, and the reason I'm pulling it isn't like talking smack on the other partner. It is from a story of your age is resilience to see where you've come now. So I kind of want you to go down that path. Yeah, no, I'll be a little bit more explicit about it too. This, yeah. So Naval X was a partner with us for a bunch of years. I helped them start up out of nothingness. It was, Hondo had some really great ideas. He was working with people like Chris Wood, with Ben Buffard, with a whole host of people. I'm sure I'm forgetting. And they wanted to do sort of like software for the Navy. And I wanted to be a part of that. And so we, we had this great relationship. We had this great idea. We kicked into it, made it through all the permitting nightmares, things got the place built. And, we're, and we were really getting into our stride of like, this is how we're going to make a divot in the, in the Navy. And then through things I'm not entirely clear on, but essentially uh, some decisions were made that you couldn't subcontract on this vehicle anymore that we'd been subcontracting on for years and that other people were subcontracting on for years. 
that vehicle became not available to us. And and thing that almost killed us was the speed of which that happened. So small business can be resilient if you're if you're thinking hey, you know something's coming down the pike, you see it, and you can maneuver to it or away from. This happened in a two week period from I'm expecting you know, a million plus dollars of revenue. And for us, that is like infinity money. Yeah. And we had hired a bunch of people and we had projected and we had actually had all these events planned into August and September. And this was around March. Like we had, we had mined palace and mapped everything. So how we're going to, and we really were sinking our, our fingers into like how to help the Navy and how to really. And then it was two weeks of like, you we're done. You know, you, we, I got told the news. I cried openly in front of everybody. Because I was so shocked and then so hurt that like this was something that I had worked and I cared a lot about. And I still care a lot about, believe it or not. And then they're just like, you know, some words on a piece of paper that was read by another person says that we can't do this. And they left. Boom. Done. Revenue gone. Everything gone. And it was just the speed. So small business can absorb a lot because most small business owners can pivot and reimagine things. It was just so fast and right out of the pandemic. Yeah. Like we had just like gotten back on our feet again and it was like a knockout punch. And so, I mean, this is a true testament to the team. Had another conversation. It was like, we've got to figure this out. The number we were using at the time was like <clears throat> 10,000 a week. Like that, that if we can make 10,000 a week and any additional on top of everything we're doing, then we don't have to lay off staff. You know, I, I don't have to sell my, I mean, this was literally on the table, sell my home, sell my cars. Like mm-hmm. all this was on the table. Like I think sometimes the Navy, I don't know if the Navy or contracting or whatever, the government forgets that like that was that was a way to somehow survive this, which was to sell my house, sell sell our cars, sell everything I have, literally go down to a like two bedroom apartment with three kids and a, and a, and a wife and, and pets. Like we, that was all we were talking about, all that stuff. Like how do we do this? And it was just the, the dedication to a lot of the people that you know on this team just grounded out and managed to turn it around. And, you know, I think from talking about resiliency, just like the ability for us to look back on that and said, we did that gives us the confidence that we can do that again if like a meteor hits or dinosaurs yeah. come back or name a thing. And, and, I, and I really hope that the Navy has learned a lesson in that too, is that some decision made by somebody and some, you know, glass tower, it has real like organically difficult effects on people like us and people that were giving everything we could to help the Navy. And, and, and it, it also stung a little bit that I was a disabled veteran because of a Naval doctor that had cut me in the wrong spots. And like, and that, you know, and through my leadership experiences or I got beat up by other Naval officers cause they thought that was the way to train me. And yeah. just like the Navy wasn't an awesome experience. And I thought this was like a great time to make it an awesome experience. And then it was like, what? <laughs> what? How did this happen so fast? So anyway, that, it it is a true testament to the building momentum team, though. Yeah. They are incredible people. Well, and and it's true. I can't even add, like, it, it is 100% true. And even as someone that was in the beginning of the show, I made the comment of, like, I built the room that we're in right now because I was on that team. Yep. Not when all that happened. I had moved on at that point. But so even being part of that, of Naval X and that journey and working with you guys so much, no, I mean, there was so much there and there still could be in a different fashion or way the the mission still is needed yeah. and legit is it, it just it hurt when I found it I had left the team already and it was like oh my gosh like that it hit my stomach and it didn't even affect me financially like it did you guys and so and that's part of the reason I'm even here this week is kind of go full circle 
And so part of that thing you guys built out was building this giant ship in your building. Well, what do you do with a giant ship now that you don't have Navy customers? Yeah, we ended up keeping it for a while because it was sort of an edifice to our ability to recover from such a traumatic event, right? It was like, it was sort of like, if we looked at that during a hard day and said, we can do that, we can do anything. But over time, that just, it, we, we realized, we got the confidence that we can pivot and it became more of a memory that I didn't want to have. And Cheyenne feels the same way, who is very intrinsically involved in this stuff too. Yeah. And at the same time, it made, it, there were people that would come in who had done a little bit of research on us and say, oh, you were a former Navy. Oh, nice boat. And I was like, oh, well, that's not the message I want to send. I don't want you to think that I am such an egomaniacal yeah. CEO and I'm that my background has to be the thing that you see first. Actually, I don't want that. To, in fact, if you look in here, you don't see any diplomas of any places I've been, like I've had education and, and any of the awards that, that we receive. You don't see that in my office. Um, that's I, I don't think the story of building momentum needs to be the Brad story. I think it is the incredible staff that we have here. So I felt really strongly about it being defocused off of me, more focused on the team, and actually really at the end of the day, more focused on the work that we do for our clients. I really want that to be the output. And so the, the boat, it was time for it to come down. We looked at our calendars and said, when's a good time? And we realized that about a, a, the year, one year anniversary of when we were told it's all over was a good time. So yes, this week, this tomorrow, actually, we're tearing the boat down, not for acrimony, but more of like moving forward and actually to make a little more space for growing stuff. Yeah, you actually need yeah, the, the so we space. Need, we need the, the space. It takes a lot of space. It does. It, does. it looks cool, but it's a lot of space. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, and I love that. And I, I'm grateful to kind of be here that week because I helped design the boat. Yeah. And then now I get to throw something into the side of the boat. And, and again, it's not at the mission. The mission was there and that still has value that's getting after it now. But it's that giant organization of the Navy and of the DOD can work better with partnerships. I mean, it was, we've both seen some of the traffic of you guys announcing the boats coming down Been funny to watch. And there were a lot of people thinking that you guys were like, oh, we hate the government now. We hate the DOD. And it's from my perspective, it's, it wasn't that at all. It seemed like it was all that, no, you guys just kind of crippled us a little bit. Like there's no hate. You guys are still supporting Marine Maker. You're still doing DOD things. You'd probably do another contract like that in the future. Lessons learned, of course. But so then that, and that's what I love. It, it, I know this isn't coming from a of hate, maybe the situation, but it's now time to move on for you. Actually, it's coming from a place of love, believe it or not. And it's like, do I fight with my wife? Yeah, I love her. I, we disagree. And sometimes we fight. This was one of those situations where I think I'm fighting with the, the bureaucracy. I still love the mission. And I still care a lot about the people. Again, it's all, always about the people. So yeah. people like you, people that I've met throughout, all of the Naval X folks, I, you know, I love dearly. And I truly mean that. It's just something, some things are going wrong in the way the government contracts with businesses. The, some of it, the businesses are culpable. Some of the government's culpable. One of those things I want to talk about, to, you know, when we bring the boat down is, is democratizing the money and the authority to the people that, that care. So at the time, Naval X wasn't in charge of their own future. They were reliant on a different contract with different money that didn't belong to them, with different authorities that they didn't belong to them either. And that is not a naval X problem. I've seen that time and time again, where you'll find, you know, you'll find like a major who has a large program that has, that, that major he or she has to run, but they don't have the authority to either kill it or grow it. They don't have the authority to handle them. Like the money just shows up in some palm. 
or they don't have the authority to, to get the money or expand the money or contract the money. And that, that needs to change. And that was, I think, one of the problems with Naval X is that there was some admiral up the chain that probably just signed some paperwork about language that affected probably a lot of things, of which a small part was killing us off as a subcontractor. Not realizing, probably probably worried about the thousand other things admirals have to worry about, yeah. not realizing the second order and third order effects of what that, what that meant, which means that person shouldn't have been signing that paper in the first place. What the person that should have been in charge of the, the future and the legalities and the money and all that stuff of Naval X should have been the people in this room, in this building, period. And I don't understand why we don't democratize that down. And I think sort of the corollary to that is, and I'll pick on, I'll pick on majors again, is they are asked to go to combat. I've seen this. I've seen, I've seen this in Iraq where there was a major who was running this entire, this like combat engineering group. And they would go out every day and they would like, you know, they were responsible for clearing lanes and killing people if they needed to and take, you know, and, and all these lives in this major's hand. That major comes back and cannot, you know, a check for a thousand dollars to do an event or, or something like it, it is, there's a complete mismatch. And that was what we saw here at Naval X is that the commanding officer of Naval X was, you know, might've had an authority to go do something in combat that was like, you know, firing millions of dollars of missiles at a village and, you know, whatever, but here back in the States, could not write a check for a couple thousand dollars to do. Something is wrong. There. Yeah. And I think that's one thing, a message that I want the DOD to really hear is that, you know, trust your people. You trust them with platforms and lives, but you don't trust them with a few thousand or a few million dollars. That is budget dust to you guys. Democratize that down to the people that are in the trenches. Yeah. Again, another great ending point. You know, all these great nuggets coming out of this conversation. <laughs> No, and, and I, think, I think that's fantastic. As we kind of close out the show, are there other things you want to share about building momentum, your journey, et cetera? Say hi uh, to the family. Uh, <laughs> no, they may not even yeah. listen to it. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, I, I just think I want people out there to, to know that if you have hard problems that you're trying to solve and you want to develop that relationship where you're going to hear some things from me that maybe you don't want to hear sometimes. Yeah. I am not a kowtow, obsequious contractor. I'm not going to just chase the dollar. I really want to organically understand you. Get into the, get into the dirt. Get finger, dirt under my fingernails with you and figure out problems we want to solve together. Yeah. That, that's a partnership I want. If anyone's out there that wants to be a part of that process, you know, come find me. And then with the, with the government, you know, really rethink this relationship with contractors right now. It is this like almost combative, but definitely almost, you know, certainly apathetic of like, oh, well, they'll find a million dollars somewhere else. You know, Brad's going to already be driving his, you know, Lamborghini or whatever. Go, go, go on the parking lot. No Lamborghinis. <laughs> that is not how we operate. And so there's, there are real people that are doing these things. I guess sort of my last sort of ax to grind on that is small businesses where the innovation that is needed for the future is at. Watch Ukraine. When I was in Ukraine, I was astounded that most of the people that were building the bomb drones and even the surveillance drones and coming up with these crazy apps to do call to fire on convoys and things were entrepreneurs. They were small business owners. Every time I'd run these guys, I'm like, what did you do before the war? Oh, I was a, I was a marketing guy. Actually, a lot of marketing people turns out in Ukraine that turned uh, that turned sort of a Wolverine insurgents. Um, that's where the innovation's at. And, and the Navy is not the, alone in this. The whole DOD mechanism needs to be better at engaging small business and staying engaged and letting them learn their lessons too. Yeah. Like I, I probably screwed some things up, but like, 
hang with us because we are we're going to give you 100%. Whereas some of the bigger the bigger companies, you know, they they are optimizing for profit and honestly mediocrity sometimes. We don't have we don't have that luxury or or we don't want that luxury. We yeah. want to give you 100%. So anyway, that that's I'm <laughs> off my soapboxes and all of my axes are now sharp. Oh, they they're ready to go to battle for the next thing. That's right. For your next partner. That's right. Exactly. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, I appreciate the conversation, Brad. It's been really great. It's great to see you again. Thanks for coming back. He was well, always, always. We're always, always. Anytime I'm welcome, I'll be here. Please. So, well, that's every time. There you go. So yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed listening to this episode. Connect with Brad on on LinkedIn. You'll see his information in the episode. Connect with Building Momentum. The things they're doing are incredible. Like Brad said, they're not going to waste your time. If they can solve your problem, they'll see if they can help you. If they can't, they'll tell you to go to somebody else. And so that's what I love about working with this team. So Brad, again, thanks for joining. Love it. Do it again. Yeah, fantastic. We'll do six months, see how things are going. All right. Perfect. All right. Thanks, everyone. See ya.